Well, it doesn't really count as a treehouse, at least not in the genuine sense of the word. It's a structure that is built up in the branches of a tree for children to play in. That's what a treehouse really is. But no, we don't actually have a treehouse. Not because our kids have grown too big to play in a treehouse. Actually, having kids build something with their own hands is something that I would really like. Having a hammer and nails and banging the boards together. That's what makes it probably the most fun to build. And it's not because our kids are too little, because what would you want a treehouse for if you weren't little enough to get up in there and imagine the whole universe there for you to be able to uh, be filled with wonder and amazement? No, we don't have a treehouse, and it's not because uh, we live in a neighborhood that would raise their eyebrows if we were dragging various parts of trash down the street and around into the backyard. That's not why we don't have a treehouse, and it's not because we live in a neighborhood that would probably frown on the fact of kids dragging a bucket of nails up two stories into the air. Uh, that's not why we don't have a treehouse. We don't have a treehouse because we don't have any trees in our backyard that are capable of hoisting this type of thing up into the sky. So instead of a treehouse, uh, we have a platform in the sky, and it is wonderful. We have this in our backyard. We call it a tree fort. What used to be the structure that supported our swing set later became the support structure for a playset. And what used to be the structure for a playset now is the foundational platform on which we built on top of the platform in the sky, the tree fort. My name is Pastor Milo. If I haven't met you yet, there's a few of you that are raising your eyebrows right now at me, and that's okay. We're glad that you're here this morning. There's a quirky thing about me. I like to build things with my hands. That doesn't mean that they're safe. That doesn't mean that they're uh, nice to look at or anything like that. But I just like to try stuff. And the, and the treehouse is the perfect opportunity to do that. Uh, it comes from the way that I was raised. I was raised on a family farm surrounded by uh, a bunch of maple trees that my grandfather planted there himself. And so there was something about those trees that I was allowed to be in, to climb and to swing uh, from the branches. And if you go there and visit there today, you'll still see two-by-fours uh, nailed into various branches, various locations there in the tree. And then some 20 feet up in the tree, all but enveloped by the tree, there's old pulleys and old uh, pieces of tractor parts with sprockets and chains and whatever. They used to be 10 feet in the air. Now they're 20 feet in the air because time has passed. 30 years of time has passed. It turns out that I wasn't the only one that was growing up. Are you growing up or are you just growing old? Are you growing up or are you just growing old? It's a good question to ask yourself from time to time, because we all know that growth is a normal part of our human life, our human experience here on the earth, because wherever there's birth, there is growth. That's what we expect. When we have children, we are willing to put up with some of the things that they do as children, because we expect that that's all part of the growing process, that at some point, somewhere along the way, that they will become productive adults. That's the idea. That's what we hope for. Joan Petty passed away last year. Many of you know Joan. All your heads just popped up. Oh, Joan Petty, yeah. One of the things she loved to say was little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. That was the way that she would deal with many things that she had to deal with 
in her life. There's something just wonderful about watching your children grow. When we have children, we try to always nurture and, and, and work into them maturing into adult. A few years ago, we remodeled our kitchen in our home. And, and one of my wife's favorite things there in the home is not the new things that we added. It's this old thing, this 1800s door that we have on our pantry. And there on the back of the door, when you open it up, it has, and many of you have these in your homes as well, it has the hash marks from your children as they grow, just the different marks, the different, the points that you put, that this was the date when they crossed three feet, then four feet, then five feet, some of them. We'll get to that point. And then hopefully someday you can get, particularly if you're a young man, you want to get to six feet. Man, do you want to get to six feet. Some of us never made it. So there's a couple things that we need to know today. Today's sermon title is The Nature of the Knowledge of God. We're talking about a spiritual life that is blossoming, blossoming into maturity. The nature of the knowledge of God. This is from 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and it's all about spiritual growth. Now there's two principles. Now if you are taking notes in these new uh, prayer journals that we have here for you, uh, two kind of overarching principles that are not part of the, the structure of the sermon today, but just principles that you need to know when it comes to spiritual growth. And here's the first principle. Uh, spiritual growth has nothing to do with your physical age. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with your physical age. You can be an older person but be a spiritual infant. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, there are children in the church of God who are 70 years old. He said, on the other hand, there are wise and instructed and stable folk who are relatively young. So spiritual maturity does not have anything to do with physical age. Physical age and spiritual maturity are not equal uh, playing fields. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. You can grow spiritually as much as you want to. You can grow spiritually as much as you want to. And that's good news for those of us who never reached six foot tall. <laughs> there was nothing that we could do about it. But spiritually speaking, that's not the case. Spiritually speaking, you can continue to grow and continue to mature. Which brings us to the central theme of what Peter's going to be talking about here this morning. Once you have the faith that God has given you, given us, as Pastor Brian discussed last week, the idea of knowing God, having this intimate and real relationship with Him. Once you understand that, once you have that faith in God, verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, then verses 3 through 15, where we're going here today, then you grow in that faith. So let's begin, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There's the sermon title is right there having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of a sinful nature. If we're going to talk about the nature of the knowledge of God, here's the first point. Now you can write this in your journals if you'd like. The knowledge of God is granted. The knowledge of God is granted. You're going to see that word two different times in these first few verses that we've looked at. There's a lot to unpack here, but it has to do with the divine nature of the knowledge of God. Of God. So let me stick with that analogy that I opened with, those maple trees that surrounded the property there on the family home. Uh, this idea of this is the, the perimeter of where it was growing up. The sense of permanence there. 
When I return back home, those trees are still there and they're, they're still standing. They represent something permanent, something that is lasting, something that was once an open field. It was an open field there. It was just a farmer's field. Uh, when my parents decided to build their home there, my grandfather came and he planted all of these trees around it to establish this is where a home is going to be. This is where the house is going to be. This is where the family is going to be raised. And that's exactly what happened there. So these trees are forever fixed, it seems like, in one place and in the ground. And the knowledge of God is fixed and it is secure and yet it is not static. Like, the, like a tree, the divine nature of God, the knowledge of God, we are told here, is alive and continuing to grow in each and every one of us. Peter tells us here in verse 4 that this is the great and precious promise that we have, that we can grow deeper in the knowledge of God. Jesus promises us, God has promises that we can escape from this old life and we can go into a whole new direction. But to do so, the word we get here is that we have to partake that's a word that we don't use very often in the English language. Probably the only time that I say that word is when we talk about coming to the Lord's Supper, the communion table. We say come and partake one together so that we can share together in the Lord's Supper. We partake. And what is being uh, talked about here is that we can partake in communion with one another, yes, but we can also partake in this idea of the knowledge of God. It's, there's a communal aspect to it. And it's communal not just with one another, but with God Himself. So if God were the investor in your life, this building project that you would call your life, He's going to write the checks. Do you know what I mean by that? Because if you're under 35 in the room, you don't write checks anymore. So you don't really understand what I'm talking about, so I'm not trying to explain what a check is. So if you write a check, what is a check? It's this piece of paper... If you write a check, it's a promissory note, I promise to pay you this amount. And so what that means is that checks are just promises. That's all that they are. You can't really do anything with that check unless you go to the bank where you can then cash the check. And a check has a person's name on it, and that person who's written their name on the check better be able to pay for that check for the amount of that check. It will do no good whatsoever, however, until you go to the bank and try to cash the check or if you take a picture of it, however you do it. That's the only way you're going to get the money out of that piece of paper. God has the power to change the world, to change your life, to grow something in you completely different from the way that things are right now. He has made that promise to you. But that promise is only as good as the one that is writing the signature. You can make a promise, but you have no way to back it up. So what? So after church this morning, I can dig through my drawer and I can find a checkbook because we don't use it very often either. I can find you a checkbook and I can write you a check for $1 million. All right. How much good is that check going to do? Because when you take that check to your bank, and you say, I have a check. I would like to cash this check for $1 million signed by Pastor Milo Wilson. So that knucklehead's been signing checks like that all week. The promise is only as good as the person who has the means 
to actually fulfill that promise. I don't have the means to do that. God has the means to fulfill the promise that He gives here. The knowledge of God is granted. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us according to His own glory and excellence. You've probably heard the idiom many of us have, don't take something for granted. What does that mean? Don't take it for granted. To expect that something is always going to be available. Don't take that teacher for granted because next year you might have a teacher that gives you way more homework. Don't take that neighbor for granted, the one that's lived there your entire life, because next year they could move away and you might have an awful neighbor. Don't take them for granted because they could always leave you. That's the idea behind that. But when it comes to God, when it comes to your heavenly Father, when it comes to His own glory and excellence, take it for granted. The knowledge of God is granted. Cash the check. Because He actually can back it up. Because of His own glory and His own excellence. Verse 4 tells us here that His promises, and through His promises, we can escape from the sinful desires. We can be pulled away from the corruptions of this world. God has granted for us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need through coming to Christ and knowing His all-sufficient power, His all-sufficient promises, it's all available to you and to me. And He promises it, and the promise is secure. A younger believer, someone who's just come to Christ, someone who's just coming along, may not know and understand the fullness of these promises. Hence the need for the local church. This is what discipleship is all about. That younger person, he needs a godly man or a godly woman to come alongside of him and help him understand those promises and how he applies them to his or her situation. He doesn't need anything additional to what Christ has already provided for him. He just needs to understand the depth of what is actually there. It's all there when it comes to the promises of God, when it comes to the knowledge of God. Take it for granted. Let's continue on, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brother affection, and brother affection with love. The knowledge of God is granted, second point, the knowledge of God is grown. The knowledge of God is grown. Paul begins here with this section by saying, for this very reason. So he is going back to what he's already talked about, how God has already granted these things for the believers so that they may grow in their faith, so that you may grow in your faith. As the old saying goes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago or today. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago or right now. Faith is the sapling that has been planted in the soil. And year after year, season after season, the tree begins to grow. When a tree is cut down, we look at the end of a tree life, say we see these rings around the trees. And you can see the different seasons. You can see the different fires or different things that that, that tree has experienced. is all demonstrated there in the rings of the tree, the years that have gone by, the seasons that it's gone through. Ring after ring, branch after branch that has grown off it. 
So what we need to see here is that these virtues that are listed here, the fruits that are listed, they're all growing from that sapling of faith. The point is you cannot continue to grow into Christian until you have actually received Christ. Your faith must be there. There's new life in Jesus Christ. The new life in Christ that gives you the motivation, gives you the power, the willingness to change and to grow spiritually. The instant that you trust in Christ, God graciously gives you the key. He grants to you these unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ, supplies you with everything you could possibly need for life and a full life full of godliness. And he says, I will make you holy as I am holy. But it all begins with faith in Christ. So we have to stop there before we can go any further. We have to stop there because you can actually look at these uh, virtues here and you can look at them as if faith is one of the virtues in the list. That's actually a mistake. If you look at it very closely, look at it very tightly, you see that faith is the first one by which everything else is built upon. Faith is the foundation, and on the foundation then we supply virtue, and we supply knowledge, and we supply self-control, and steadfastness, and godliness, and brother kindness, and love. The list just begins to grow from there. When we see this list, many of you will also have some questions as you look at it. First of all, how does this compare, this list compare to other lists we find in Scripture? Probably the most famous list would be that of the Apostle Paul, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Is this a different list? Is it, is it one that's more important, has more in the list than Paul's does? Well, they actually complement one another. And this is a beautiful thing of Scripture is we realize that Paul writes the list in Galatians and Peter writes the list here. These are different authors. So they are demonstrating through different qualities in a different way. Why, are some, uh, why was Peter picking some qualities and not another? Why does he put them in this order? All of these questions are being asked. Does he mean that we have to work on them in this order? Do we have to complete the first one and become, become proficient in that first one before we add a second one or the third one or the fourth one? How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to deal with this? And this is what happens when we have lists in Scripture. It's kind of see what's going on behind it. Which is why we have to know and believe that faith is the foundation, faith is the sapling that things are growing from. So the rest of these virtues that are given here, uh, they grow and compound upon one another. Faith is the tree that has been planted. Without faith in Jesus Christ, we are not Christ followers. We are not Christians. Faith in Jesus Christ is where things begin. After that, we see this list, the first one being virtue. Virtue is necessary next because without that, we cannot have a clear conscience. If we are followers of Christ, we need to have a clear conscience. We need to know and understand, believe that, that the one that we are following has called us to something greater. And so that becomes a virtuous life that is grown out of that. If we live a known disobedience to God, we will not be living and he will not be revealing spiritual truth to us. The first thing that you would expect would be virtue. Then the second step, the second thing that would build upon that would be knowledge. Knowledge follows closely because we must know the Word of God. We must be discipled in the Word of God. The Word of God must lead us. There should not be anything I'm sharing with you this morning that does not come directly from God's Word. That's part of the reason why there's a pulpit every Sunday. So that you can know and understand we are both coming to God's Word and seeing what it reveals to us, seeing how He speaks through His Word. And so we have to go to His Word. It is our guide to inform our thinking 
and our behavior. But knowing the truth is of no use to us. Jesus tells us this unless we exercise self-control to practice this. That's why self-control is next. Not having self-control on a few occasions will not help because we can, we can actually ruin our own testimony if we have no self-control. If we come after somebody, swinging our fists and beating them over the head with the Bible, then we're going to miss the whole point of what the whole Bible is about, to demonstrate the love of God. And so we have to continue forward. We have to be, there's your next word, steadfast. Because there will be trials. There will be temptations that come. There will be factions that try to break the church apart. All of these things, steadfastness, to continue to work forward in every situation. And as that comes, as we persevere, you see the next. Godliness. This living reverence to God in every situation. But godliness is not a private matter only. So that takes us to godly relationships. And so therefore we need brotherly kindness as we deal with one another. Have you ever said this about yourself? (laughs) I love following Christ. I love the scriptures. I just cannot stand the other people in our church. I mean, not this church. Someone else. Someone else watching somewhere else. That's not what the Bible teaches us. We have to actually live this out, the steadfastness to live this out, to live and grow in Scripture in brotherly kindness, sisterly kindness, and finally, self-sacrificial love. Because that's what it takes when you deal with difficult situations and difficult people. The desire to be willing to fall on the sword at times, to care for one another at times, for, for the purpose of helping them along this journey. So if you follow through in that way, you see that it is a logical order. They're, they are put in an order, but it's not a chronological order. Does understand what I mean by that? It's a, it's a logical order, meaning they are there for a reason. One follows the other, but it's not chronological in the sense that one must be completed before moving on to the next. There is growth that is happening across all of those things. They are interrelated. It should be encouraging to you and encouraging to me that we get this list from Peter. See, in contrast to Paul, see, the the book of Acts, which has to do with the ministry as we see uh, the the gospel just going out and spreading like wildfire, we see really the contrast of the ministries of Paul and Peter. And Paul was a well-educated man. He was a religious, religiously trained from a young age, and he was a rule follower. And Peter, on the other hand, is a fisherman. And everything that we know about Peter is that he is brash and he rushes into things and he goes all different directions at once and he's constantly bouncing from this thing to that thing. Let's do this. No, let's do this. Jesus, let's, let's build a tent. Let's tear down the tent. Let's go. And all these different things that he is saying. And this is a list that we get from a guy with that type of personality. And I think what's beautiful about it is he's giving a list that, that is meant to help you see the holistic nature in the way that God works in our lives. As he is putting these things down and putting them down in this manner, it should demonstrate to you and I as readers this understanding that God is growing and maturing something in him. When Jesus finds Peter and he says, come and follow me, Peter is a spiritual sapling. He is just at the beginning stages. But when we get this letter, God has been doing something tremendous, growing something in him. He is no longer a sapling that is going to be blown back and forth. No, he is growing into a strong, strong tree that has grown up spiritually. But his personality comes through here as well. 
This idea that it's holy, all of these things are being worked on as well, that God is at work and he is growing people in faith and that growth is multifaceted. All these different qualities are being demonstrated. Let's continue on, verse 8. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, they keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten all that he was cleansed from, from his former sins, therefore, brother, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you're taking notes this morning, the knowledge of God is grounded. The knowledge of God is grounded. I'm honing in on the last few words here to come to that conclusion. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall, Peter tells us. You will be rooted. You will be grounded in Christ. And if you are grounded in Christ, you are grounded in the knowledge of Christ, in the knowledge of God, then you will be confident in the fact that you have been cleansed forever for eternity from your sins. You will be confident in the fact that you have been elected and that the other followers of Christ have also been elected and selected as part of the adopted family, the children of God, the eternal family of God. God. You will be grounded enough. You'll be confident enough. You'll understand and realize that sin pollutes our lives. But by the grace of God, we are all capable, every single person in this room, of any vile thing that you can imagine. Every single one of us is absolutely capable of that thing except for Christ. Being grounded in the knowledge of God helps you understand and realize that every moment of every single day. You're grounded in the knowledge of God. You'll never be the kind of person who says, well, I tried Jesus. I tried Jesus, but it just wasn't for me. It just didn't work for me. You'll never say that. You'll never be able to say that because the truth of the matter is is that Jesus will always work for you. It will always work. The gospel will always work to change your life. If you're grounded, you realize it's because you didn't work. Because you didn't take hold of those truths. You stopped operating. Somewhere along the way, you stopped growing. A person that is grounded and is pulling from the spiritual depth that is available to every believer in the knowledge of God won't make that mistake. A person grounded in the knowledge of God will never be, we are told here, ineffective. Will never be ineffective. The person who is grounded in the knowledge of God will never be unfruitful. Now the fruit that he's talking about is one of the things that the New Testament talks about again and again and again. We talk about the Apostle Paul saying it, but Jesus talks about it too with his parables. He speaks about uh, bearing fruit, the analogy of an ever-expanding life that blesses other people. That's the fruit that he talks about. When Jesus talks about in parables, he speaks to the people, if they would hear his words, he would say, and they take it to the heart, they'll produce fruit, he says, some 30, some 60, 100-fold, producing fruit fruit. The knowledge of God is grounded. Continuing on, verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next point to make this morning is the knowledge of God is glory. It's glory. 
The picture that Peter is painting here is from the Greek culture of the day. If you remember, just timeline of how things are happening. This is the early days of the Olympics. This is the first time the Olympics are gathering all these athletes from around the world. And Peter and the other uh, readers who'd be reading his letter, they know and they understand that. In this Greek culture, for an Olympian's welcome home is what he's describing here. I read this story this week uh, about a man named Robert Manry. This happened in the 1960s, so actually some of you may remember this. Uh, he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. And there's other people who have done this before, but he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean alone. The unique factor for him was that he did it in a craft that was only 13 and a half feet long. So that's tiny. Very, very small. That's not even the length of most surfboards are longer than that. Most paddleboards are longer than that. It took him 78 days to get across the Atlantic Ocean. He said his rudder broke several times. He said he was washed overboard several times. Sometimes in the shipping lanes, it was so bad, he said, I could not sleep. I had to stay awake for several days at a time because it was too dangerous for me to sleep. There were different times that he took a rope and he tied himself to the boat so that he would stay on it. 78 days later, he can see the shores. He's, 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 he's sailing from here to England and he can see where he's going. And the only thought that was going through his mind, as he puts it in his documentary, I see a hotel room, I need a shower, and I need to sleep for like a week. He was just so discouraged, so tired. But as he neared the shore, 300 other boats started to show up around him and start to travel with him towards the shore. The way the story goes, there was 40,000 people there waiting for him, cheering him on, making his journey successful the last little bit of the way. At that point, he didn't need a shower. At that point, it felt so good. At that point, he had all the encouragement. He, he couldn't remember any of the things that discouraged him. He was just surging towards the shore. When you stand there in heaven and that crown of glory goes on your head, you will never regret the hours that you spent in God's Word. You will never regret the hours that you spent in prayer, begging God to show Himself and demonstrate Himself to you. You will never regret sharing your faith with that neighbor, that friend, that person that you just weren't sure whether or not it was going to go well, but you stepped forward anyway. You will never regret those things. You'll never regret building up the person next to you who is just not willing to work with you. You'll never regret that. You never will because as you get to that point, glory will drive everything. The knowledge of God brings glory. Glory to God and access to glory on high. I was away last Sunday. I had the opportunity to work with some missionaries in the state, in the state, in the nation of the Dominican Republic. Got to go down there, and they were all missionaries who were Americans there in the Dominican. And some of them have been there for many, many years, particularly the teenagers, uh, as I interact with them. Our job was to, to I, I led worship, I did a couple of the teaching times, uh, to just encourage them there. They've been there for seven, ten years, some of them. And uh, to just to encourage them in what they were doing. And, and the teenagers were saying, for the next two and a half days, I'm not going to speak Spanish no matter how many people ask me to. They just wanted to be Americans for a couple of days. And to sing these, so, so to just lead a song with a guitar, it was like the, the top of the champagne bottle had popped off. Just, they were just overwhelmed with worship because they don't get to sing. They, they get to speak to one another in English, but they don't get to sing and to worship in their heart language in that way. It was such a, a, a beautiful thing to see. We had a little bit of fun last Sunday morning. 
Uh, we began the service with a song, I Fly Away, and Hank, uh, Hank Williams praised the Lord, I Saw the Light. That's how we started the morning. And I'll tell you what, they had a rowdy service down there. And I'd stop playing, and they would sing that line, Praise the Lord, I Saw the Light. Just the thought or the idea that we would all come together someday in some place in eternity future, praising God. It was an overwhelming thought, an overwhelming experience. The knowledge of God brings glory, brings us to glory. Here's your last point for the morning. The knowledge of God is known. The knowledge of God is known. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and you are established in the truth that you already have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by ways of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The knowledge of God is known. It is possible to know the knowledge of God. It's possible. The fact that we have scriptures at all is because there are people who have walked ahead of us, who have walked before us, and have actually known what it's like to walk in the knowledge of an almighty and holy God, and they lived it out in their own lives. That's what we have here for us. And it's not just here. We, we have all kinds for 2,000 years of people, millions of people who have walked forward in faith because they know the knowledge of God. Since Christ has made it clear to me, He says, I'm going to die. I will not be here when you read this letter. I'm not sure how many days I have left, but I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. I want to encourage you that you can know God. Do you know God this morning? It's going to be a repeating theme in this book, so boy, I hope that you get there. I hope that you get there. The, the idea of just knowing Him deeply and intimately. Do you know Him? Because it's possible. I intend to remind you of these things so that you may know, that it may be established in you, this truth that you already have. As the band comes forward this morning, are you growing up or are you simply growing older? Are you growing up or are you simply growing older? Here's where the sermon has come this morning. If you put it all together, here's our last slide. The knowledge of God is granted and it's grown. So it's both of those things at the same time. The knowledge of God is grounded, but it's this crazy thing where it's grounded in glory. So as the roots go down into these bedrock truths of Scripture that God has made Himself available, it actually brings us closer to Him in glory in heaven. As the Apostle Peter is writing these things down, he is grasping a hold of truths that are Old Testament truths, and he's grasping a hold of the future that he cannot see yet. And all of it is happening all at the same time. Because that's the eternal nature of the kingdom of God, the past, the present, and the future, and it's all grounded in glory of how this is all coming together. But for what purpose? For what reason? Why is Peter writing this letter at all? He says, you may know this, the gospel may be known, the knowledge of God is known, so that you may make it known. It's of no value whatsoever if Peter was the last person to ever know this truth. 
But he was not. He wrote it down. He shared it. He sent this out to the church. He made sure that they understand. He says, I want you every single time that you are confused, every single time that you are lost, every single time that you get shaken, I want you to know this. I want you to connect to this. I want you to be grounded. I want you to be anchored. I want you to know that this has been granted to you, that every believer who gives themselves to Christ, that this is in you. I want you to know this. And then I want you to go further and make it known to everyone that you come in contact with. It's Jesus Christ has become clear to me, and I want you to be able to make Jesus Christ clear and in focus for everyone who may come afterwards. So we're going to do this morning, as we do each week, as we come to a close here today, is just to ask you to consider these things. I'll come down to the floor and, and, and make myself available. Sam will be here as well to make ourselves available to you, to pray with you and pray for you, to be able to say, do you want to know Christ? First of all, do you know Him? Because that sapling has to start the process of growing. But are you just growing old or are you actually growing up when it comes to spiritual things? Because we are told to continue, to continue to grow in these things, these virtues, these, these different ways that we continue to get better and continue to be more like Christ for the purpose of making Him known to others. That's the gospel. God's only Son provides everlasting life. As we sing this song, it's called Build My Life, and you'll hear line after line in this song about the idea of just adding on and building on to the firm foundation. If you want to come forward this morning, I'd love the opportunity to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to come forward this morning so I can pray for you, that you would grow deeper in that, that you, that, that you would not only know that truth, but you'd be willing to share that truth. I'd love that opportunity as well. Would you stand this morning as we sing together, focus our eyes on Christ as we build our lives.
The next line that comes up there is worthy of every song you could ever sing. He is worthy to fulfill all the promises that He has made. The Apostle Peter here has laid it out for us. And God says He is able to fulfill everything that He has promised this morning. He, he promised that He would send His Son on our behalf. He promised that He is enough for your sins and mine. And that is enough for us to live our lives differently here today. He is worthy. So this morning, as we sing through the rest of the song, if there's anyone at all, if you want to uh, start a dialogue, write something down on a connection card, drop it in the offering box in the back. Meet me there in the back as well. We're praying that God is working in our hearts and in our lives, that we would go deeper, that we would take these different steps, these different virtues, these different progress forward, that we would know that He is building something in our hearts and in our lives and in the life of this church. I pray that you'd be willing to step forward to the challenge that He has put in your heart today. Lord, we love you and praise you as we continue to sing. In Jesus' name, you are worthy.